What a perfect song to introduce our, our message in the sense that uh, God truly is the creator God who uh, put breath in our lungs, gave us life, and uh, now we get to use that breath that he's given us to, to praise him in song and to worship him even as we sit and listen to, uh, to his word. Um, if you're a guest with us, I, I want to point out something for you that our members know. There's a colored insert in the service folder, and if you'd like to take that out at this time, I think it can be a blessing to you. As I often say, if nothing else, it shows you that the pastor has a point that he's working towards, and uh, so that's always a good thing. Question, um, how many of you know what a stereogram is? Anyone know what a stereogram is? And I'm not going to like put you on the spot, uh, but a few of you, not too many, but I, almost everybody here this weekend actually knows what it is, even if they don't know what it's called. I have a picture of one here. So a stereogram is one of those pictures that has a pattern to it. And what's supposed to happen is if you stare at it long enough, that you're supposed to be able to see a 3D image kind of come out from the midst of the pattern. All right? Now, I'm going to confess something to you right off the bat today that I'd prefer you not to tell anyone outside of this room because they will think less of me more than likely. In my entire life, I have never seen the 3D image in any of these things. And I have tried a lot, not too much since I became a pastor, but I have tried a lot over the years. In fact, this week, as I was trying to grab uh, an image to show you, I googled easy stereogram. And I tried three of them. I still could not see any 3D image. I think it's all a lie. Does anyone see this one at all? The, uh, the first Saturday night, one of the kids said he saw a butterfly in there, um, which he could be, tr- it could be right, it could be wrong. I have no idea because I cannot see these things. And it just frustrates me. In fact, I, uh, <laughs> I, I also Googled tips in deciphering stereograms. And so here's some tips if you ever want to do one of these. You, you put it right next to your nose. Don't, don't come up here and do that right now. But put it right next to your nose, and then you're supposed to look like you're staring through it. You're not looking at it. You're just looking through it, and then you're supposed to slowly bring it away from your head. And if you still can't see it, honestly, they said you're supposed to, like, shake your head slowly sideways. So I'm doing this this week, and Pastor Matt walks into my office, and he's like, no, I did, that didn't happen. But crazy, I tried it. It still didn't work. I cannot figure any of these things out, and it frustrates me so much because I've stared at them for a while. Saturday night, I I left this on the screen, and no one listened while it was up there because I noticed everyone looking at the stereogram. So for Sunday, could we hit the slide? I put another... uh, Yeah, okay, there we go. Now we're refocusing on the Trinity. Okay, Um, here's my point with this, is that the, the truth of the Trinity can make a person feel the same way I feel about stereograms. A little frustrated. I want to acknowledge that. It's hard. And you can lay out all of the scripture that the Bible has about the Trinity, which I've done over the course of my ministry and a lot for this series. You can get tips. I'll call them theological books written by really smart people. And you can look at those books and you can shake your head slowly to the side if you want to, but I'm going to tell you, you might understand better, but it's still going to blow your mind. 
And I just want to acknowledge that up front, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that in just a second. But before I talk more about what to do with that frustration, I want to first just be very clear that this is something that's in the Bible. And for some of you, you maybe never have looked at what the Bible says about the Trinity. For most of you, unfortunately, it's been since eighth grade confirmation class since you talked about the Trinity. So it's good that we're doing this right now. And so what does the Bible say? Well, in the Old Testament, one of the biggest mantras that the Old Testament believers had was a mantra that made it very clear that they believed in one God. In fact, here's the verse that, oh, let's see. Okay. Here's the verse. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. In fact, aspiring seminarian and pastors had to memorize this in Hebrew. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Because this was such a part of Old Testament belief. And the reason why it was so important is because all of the other nations who believed in false gods, they were all polytheists, meaning poly-many. They believed in many gods. Israel was different as their belief in the true God was the God of one God. And yet, when you turn to the very beginning of creation, you see this interesting verse. It's in Genesis chapter 1. <laughs> that God said, it should be then God said instead of the, then God said, and what is, is God singular or plural there? Singular, exactly. God said, singular, let us. It's like me, me saying, Ben said, let us go to the, I mean, he must have a complex if he's thinking of himself in a plural form, right? Ben said, let us go. No, God said, let us, plural, make man in our image, in our likeness. There's only one person there, one being there at the time. It was just God, and he speaks of himself in the plural. <laughs> I'm going to dig a little deeper. Um, in Hebrew, the word for God, one of them is Elohim, The ending of that word is plural. So technically, the word is gods. But every time Elohim shows up in the Hebrew, it's always followed by a singular verb. Plural noun, singular verb. You know why? It's the mystery of the Trinity. And could you go back a slide? What what essentially the Bible says is this, and you know, flashback to confirmation class for some of us, right? That the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not the Father, but they're all God. Now, how can that be? <laughs> let's go back ahead a little bit here. Let, let's turn to the New Testament. The New Testament, Jesus makes it really clear who the three persons of the Trinity are, as we saw in that chart. When he said to his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them. And he didn't say baptize them in the name of God. He was more specific. He said in the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And maybe some of you who know your New Testament a little bit, you might remember Jesus' baptism. What a crazy day that was. Because as Jesus, who is the Son, is standing in the Jordan River to be baptized, God the Father is speaking from heaven, and God the Holy Spirit is coming down in the form of a dove. And yet, Jesus, even after you see this event where there's these three things going on, Jesus is really clear. I believe that there's one God. In fact, he quotes that Deuteronomy passage in Mark chapter 12. 
when he's answering a question for someone, he says, the most important commandment is this. And he starts off with the mantra. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We have one God. Now love the Lord, that one God, with all your heart. It's really hard. It's confusing. It's, it's frustrating. And so, you know... <laughs> Is being a Christian relegated to just believing things that are like fairy tales? I will tell you absolutely not. Here are two things I want to share with you to help with the frustration of the Trinity and to be okay with it. The first is this. That the fact that God is more complex and difficult to understand in its in his entirety than what my puny, finite mind can understand and put, put, you know, handle on, that makes logical sense to me. I am a creation of the creator. And for me, the creation, to not totally understand everything about God, I mean, the alternative is that God is put in this nice little tidy box and his creation essentially knows everything about him. And that's more scary to me than the God of angel armies. Yeah, there might be some things I learn about him in heaven that I can't quite understand. I'm totally okay with that. <laughs> the other thing is this. You believe in things you don't understand at times. Like um, if I gave you a really in-depth quiz of how Wi-Fi worked, like only a few of you would pass. It's like, and when, you know, like when it doesn't work, like we, oh, you're supposed to plug it in again, pull it out and then plug it in again. But why? You have no idea, right? Reset something and, you know, we don't understand it and yet we use it all the time, right? Some of you maybe understand more than I do, I guarantee it, but someone could stump you. You use it every day. You believe in Wi-Fi. Can't understand it all. So we're not going to sort of unpack some hidden truths that no Christian across the centuries has ever thought of before. If I did that, you need to be skeptical of me. (laughs) But instead, our very simple goal, and I made it rhyme today for this series, is this. First fill-in. We're going to share what we know in order to grow. (laughs) Just going to share, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what we know in order that we can grow in our relationship with God to better understand how the Father, Son, and Spirit functions. We won't answer all your questions, but we will share what we know from Scripture so that we can grow in that faith relationship with Him. And so today we're going to start with the Father And uh, obviously the time on the Father is going to be a little shorter since we took some needed time in just unpacking the Trinity in general. But the section that I want to turn to in just a moment is from Psalm 121. Before we get there, though, I kind of want to give you a reason for listening, a reason for better understanding your your heavenly Father and what he does. And and to do that, I want to sort of mention something that's going to be happening within the next month or so, that there are going to be Lots and lots of kids, they're going to be dropped off for the first day of school. And parents across the country are, yeah, no. (laughs) They're going to be dropped off for the first day of school, and not all of them are going to like it. 
Some of those kids, especially younger ones, are going to be at a new school they've never been to. Maybe they've never even been to any school before, a new teacher, uh, new classmates, whatever it is. And again, I'm, I'm full of confessions this morning. I'm mad enough to admit that I was a kindergarten crier. First day of kindergarten, I cried. I did not want to be there. My parents, my mom, got all the stuff in my flip-top desk all ready for me. And then she said, goodbye. You know, not like that. Goodbye. And uh, as I watched her leave, I, I was, well, the feeling was alone. Felt alone. Have you ever felt alone? Um, you don't have to be a kid to feel alone. Sometimes you felt physically alone, like maybe when a relationship disintegrated, a marriage is on the rocks, um, a family has abandoned you, uh, a friendship maybe has, has hit a hard times, whether it's for a weekend or for a long time. You just kind of feel by yourself. Some of you maybe have felt uh, emotionally alone. It's not physical, but you just felt alone, like, you know, maybe you have to take a test to get into college and, you know... No one can take it for you. <laughs> it's just you. Or a job interview that you need to do well on. There, there's a lot of weeks where in my sermon writing I feel really alone. Like, no one else can write this thing that's going to be preached except for me. And I would love to go to Carrie and say, could you write page two for me? And she'd probably do a good job, but I couldn't preach her words. It'd be really hard to impossible. I got to do it. And it's not a fun feeling. Maybe you felt alone after a surgery and your husband or your wife was encouraging you to, to do your exercises, but they couldn't do it for you. You had to do it. There's some battle you're fighting inside. No one can fight it for you. You have to do it. You feel alone at times. Well, knowing that God is your father can make a huge difference for you. I mentioned we're going to turn to Psalm 121 today, and I want to give a little bit of background on that psalm. So as most of you know, the psalms were written to be sung. They're songs. And uh, this particular song was sung for a particular event. It was written for God's people, the Jewish nation, to when they were hiking or traveling to Jerusalem. So Jerusalem, the city, is on a plateau. It's elevated. So no matter where you come from, whatever direction, at certain point, you have to go up, okay? And so not only was it a treacherous sort of just, you know, footing because of the, the sandy, dirty, rocky trails, but also it was dangerous because thieves and other criminals would hang out in the caves and around corners because it was a perfect place to steal things, um, not only could they hide, but you've got all these people that are going for the Passover or for some other festival. They're bringing a lot of money, animals, lots of stuff. And so there was a lot that could be stolen. Well, I want you to imagine you at the bottom of the hill going, starting the ascent to Jerusalem. There could be a little bit of fear, maybe feel a little bit alone as a family. And so they would often sing this song. And I want to... Um, I want to read it it's in, in its entirety for you. It's only eight verses. Think about that picture of them traveling to Jerusalem. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, who is the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. 
He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm, and he'll watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forever. I think this psalm just so much speaks to me when it comes to life, because just as these journeyers were traveling to Jerusalem, you and I are kind of traveling through life, aren't we? To the, what the Bible calls the new Jerusalem, to heaven. And there are times where, you know, you look up to the hills, you look up to the circumstances around you, and you feel fear. <laughs> you feel alone like we, we talked about. So there's two major things that I want to point out from these verses about God the Father. The first one is found in verse 2, where it says, My help comes from the Lord. He is the maker of heaven and earth. My help comes from the Father. He's the maker of heaven and earth. This verse says that God is the maker of heaven and earth, which means that he is the maker of all that is in it, which means he is the maker of what and of who? Of you and of me. In fact, Psalm 139 even pictures that making, uh, that creating in an even more picturesque way. It pictures like someone sitting on their rocking chair, knitting something. And in order to knit something, which I can't do either, um, you have to plan. You have to, what are you going to do? What colors are you going to use? What pattern are you going to have? And it takes time, it takes effort, it takes skill. God knits you together in your mother's womb, the Bible says. You are a creation of the creator and our first point about the father today. You need to understand as you're going through life and feel alone sometimes that the creator, the father, he treasures his creation. He loves his creation. He values his creation. And that makes all the difference. When you've made something, when you own something, it's a whole lot different than if it's just something you're taking care of. Let me, let me give you an example of this. So um, some of you maybe have gotten a brand new car that you've wanted for a really long time. And some of you have, have wanted that car so long and loved that car so much that it's your baby. And you might even name it, and you wouldn't even admit that at church, but some of you I know have named your car because you like it so much. And that car, brand new, you take care of it so well, right? And, you know, I've seen people with brand new cars, like you're at Target or Cub, and there's all these parking spots, but you dare not park by other cars. So you park way back in the back end of the lot so as no one opens their door and hopefully, you know, slightly ding your car, right? You baby the engine. You don't want to rev the RPMs too high and possibly ruin the transmission or whatever. You, you just take care of it. You know, you wax it for the first month or whatever, you know, or maybe a little longer than that. On the flip side, you've got rental cars. And I had once gotten this advice that uh, don't ever buy a former rental car. Now, I have done it, and we've had good, you know, good experiences with it, so it's not always a bad thing. But the point was, you've got to be careful. 
Because people don't treat a rental car, especially the engine, the way they do a car that they own. Like if you're driving a brand new car that you've seen on, the, on a commercial and it said, you know, zero to 60 in how many seconds with a rental car, you're going to try it. You don't care where the RPMs go. It's not your car. You just press the pedal to the metal and see if the commercial is right or not. We treat it totally different than a car that's yours. You know why? Because when something's yours, you treasure it. God did not even just buy you off the showroom floor. He made you. And even in the very first creation of people, with everything else, God just spoke and it happened. With Adam and with Eve, he formed Adam out of the sand. He used a rib from Adam to create Eve. Even the very first two people, we see the care and the love that God took to create Adam and Eve just the way they were. Now, I'm going to say something that I feel like I really need to say, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say I'm going to try to be as delicate as I can because a lot of times we don't want to hear this. So there are times when we don't feel good about who we are, how we look, the gifts we have, especially when we compare ourselves to other people. And I felt that way too, and I understand. But has your mother ever put food in front of you for supper and you said, this is really gross? If you have, and some of you have, how does that make mom feel? For us to constantly be complaining about my stage in life or what I look like or what I can't do or whatever, you're slapping God, the creator, in the face, and you need to get over it. And you need to start rejoicing in who God has made you. And yes, are there things you can change? Yeah, we're probably not all taking care of ourselves the best we can. But at a certain point, we are who we are. And we got to rejoice in that and, and understand that you have a Heavenly Father that treasures you. The one who made you loves you just the way you are. The gifts that you have, He treasures His creation. You're not a rental. <laughs> You're God's craftsmanship. Now, when we recognize this, it'll bring comfort. But I, I want to just for a second touch on the flip side of this because it also needs to bring humility to know that the Father is the creator. And Martin Luther touches on this in, his, uh, in a book that he wrote, uh, some words about the first article about the Father. Martin Luther wrote this. If we believed it, that God is the Father, the creator, with our whole heart, we would also then act accordingly, and this is the opposite of what we've already talked about, and not swagger about and boast and brag as if we've got it all together, as if we had life, riches, power, honor, and such things of ourselves, as if we ourselves were to be feared and served. There's a shadow side that the, the fact that God is the creator just blows up too. It blows up our arrogance. Because yes, while you have worked hard, you could not be who you are without a creator. And how subtle isn't the shift of mind in times of successes from thank you, God, to you're pretty good at that. Thank you, creator, to wow, I'm pretty talented at this. How important is that balance and that understanding of God 
the Father who is our creator. Now I want to talk about one more thing about the Father. He created you, put you together, <laughs> but he didn't just leave you to fend for yourselves. Um, how many of you adults have ever helped a kid put together a Lego set? Raise your hand if you've ever helped a child put together a Lego set. All right. How many of those Lego sets are still intact? Raise your hand if any of them are still intact. <laughs> a few of them maybe. Okay, good. There is definitely not as many hands, right? Some of you know that, that I kind of can be a little type A, and I know with some of the last Lego sets that we've done, uh, especially with Elias, uh, we put some together, and i contemplating using super glue, um, but we didn't. But instead, there was this one that we had sit on his dresser, and every night I was, I was going to look to see, is it still there and intact, right? And he did a really good job. But I will say, a couple years later, it's not there anymore, okay? And even then, all of the, the pieces are probably in the green box that we have, which is like all of the other ones that cost way too much, all put together into the same bin, never to be put back together again because you lose one piece of the creation <laughs> and it doesn't work. The only way that I can see to keep it safe is that you would, you would have to hire someone just to guard the Legos, okay? And they've got to have a watch over it all the time, all right? Now, I would do that <laughs> because it takes so long to put those things together, right? But we don't. God not only has created you, he neither slumbers nor sleeps. He watches over you. He didn't create you like a Lego creation and then, all right, give you off to a five-year-old. Let's <laughs> see what happens. I know it's going to happen, but... <laughs> he created you and the Father guards you. In fact, uh, if you look at the whole psalm, next slide, in its entirety, smaller font, see all the yellows? Those are all, he watches over you. He watches over you. He keeps you. God watches over you. Six times in only eight verses, you have the Hebrew word shamar, which means to guard, protect, to watch over you. Because God wanted his people to know as they were traveling to Jerusalem or traveling through life that God the Father shamars them. He watches over them. Our next fill-in. Always remember that the Father is always there. He neither slumbers nor sleeps. He who watches over Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. He who watches over you neither slumbers nor sleeps. Always remember that the Father is always there. Better than a friend, better than a spouse, better than parents, God will watch over you. He is your shade at your right hand, as the psalm says. When you feel all alone, shamar, God watches over you. When you feel like there's no hope, I got to do this all by myself, you don't. Shamar, the Father watches over you. When you feel scared, sh come on guys. When you feel scared, shamar, yeah, God watches over you. Kids, first day of school, New, new classroom, just the kids. What are you going to do? You're going to think about what? What Hebrew word? 
Shamar, exactly. God watches over you. Adults, you are struggling with something at work. You feel like it's all on you. Shamar, exactly. God watches over you. Shamar, Shamar, Shamar. All right? Six times in eight verses. Every day of your life, understand that the Father is always there and he is going to watch over you because... He created you, and through Jesus Christ, his son, he's also redeemed you. He's made you twice. He made you first when you were born, and then he made you over when you came to faith in his son, Jesus. And I love the end of Psalm 121. It says, I'm going to watch over you both now, when's that? Like today, this life, and forevermore. Where's forevermore? Sounds like a nice place. Forevermore is heaven, and he's still shamaring you there, still watching over you in heaven. So what do we do with this? In, in kind of conclusion here, as we think of God the Father as our creator and our always there protector, I want to tell you what to do. I want to have God tell you what to do. And for that, I need a uh, volunteer and it just so happens that my family's here at this, church, at this service. So Ezra, you can be my volunteers. Could you come up here on, uh, on the carpet for me? <clears throat> now, the reason why I first wanted you to come up here is that uh, I wanted to introduce you to something. This is a broom. <laughs> and in case you didn't, this is used for sweeping and cleaning things. Really? Yeah, so when we get home, now you'll know what to do with it. But for today, what I'd like you to do is I want you to balance it on your hand, or try to. But as you do that, what I, you take it, you take it. What I want you to do is, as you're balancing it, I want you to look right here, okay? And try to balance it on your hand, okay? Don't hit Mr. Seehusen. Try look at, okay, all right, all right, good, okay. <laughs> Don't hit Brian either. Now, I'd like you to do, take it, so you, I want you to get the balance of it. Now, I want you